Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33, as we continue our study through this wonderful book, and we come to an account which really lists the failures of Jacob after a wonderful experience that he had with the Lord. I've entitled the message, Failures After Peniel. Failures After Peniel. And Peniel was the place where he saw the Lord face to face. Follow in your Bibles as we read. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. And he lifted up his eyes, and saw the women and the children, and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaids came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near, and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near, and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and herds with young are with me. And if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come unto my Lord unto Seir. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And he said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him a house, and made booze for the cattle. Therefore the name of the place was called, is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of, of a field, where he had spread his tent, at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar, and called it El- Elohi Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for your people. We thank you for the joy that's in our presence today as people just enjoy being in the house of the Lord and seeing each other. And Lord, we thank you for your word that you've given us. And I pray that you'd teach us from your word today the things that we need to know. I know, Lord, that in this passage we see Jacob failing in different ways. Help us as we see that today and apply it to our hearts because as a, when we just read it through, Lord, it might be hard to see these failures. 
So it is in our lives that sometimes we bypass things that we are doing, failures that we are having, and we don't recognize them. So help us to see that today, and we'll thank you. And Lord, if there's somebody here without Jesus, may they trust him as their Savior today. We pray in his name. Amen. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience with the Lord, and then shortly thereafter you failed him? This has often happened to God's saints and reinforces the truth of the scripture that says, To him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. We see this often in scripture because all of God's servants are are flawed. And God tells the truth when he writes the story about his servants. God doesn't gloss it over. He tells the things that that maybe those servants would rather not him tell, but he does that. Some examples of that are Abraham. Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, and the Bible said he didn't know where he was going. Now, that took faith for him to step out, take his family and everything with him, and say, I'm leaving, and they say, where are you going? He said, I don't know. I just know I'm following God. Now, that took a lot of faith. And so he had that faith and went down into Canaan, but when he got to Canaan, a famine came, and he left, left Canaan, the land where God told him to go, and he went down into Egypt. And then when he got into Egypt, he thought the men there would be desirous of his wife, so he lied about her and said, she's my sister, and they took her. He was willing to sacrifice his wife for his own skin. Now, that's Abraham who was on the mountaintop with God, great faith, and then he ended up failing the Lord. Isaac was another example. He was willing, he willingly let his dad sacrifice him on the altar. He was going to let his dad kill him. That was faith. Uh, He had to believe what what, uh, his dad told him. He had to believe in Abraham uh, that he was following God, and he was willing to do that. And so he had that great faith. But then you remember later, when he had children, God told him the the elder is going to serve the younger. So the the promised child is going to be the youngest, not the oldest. Well, he didn't accept that. And he tried his best to change that, and he tried to bless Esau, even though God told him not to. So a man of faith turns out to fail the Lord. Elijah was another one. Elijah had that great victory on Mount Carmel, you remember, when, the, he, when he was against the king and all the prophets of Baal. And uh, he, caught, he, he prayed, and, and uh, the Lord sent down fire from heaven, and the, all the prophets of Baal were, were killed. I mean, he was a victorious one. He was great. But then he got home and got a letter from Jezebel, and he ran. He went from one extreme to the other. He's on the mountaintop, and when he got down in the valley, he failed the Lord. Peter was another one. Peter was one of the chosen three. You remember Peter, James, and John was the inner circle of Jesus Christ. And yet Peter, James, and John was chosen by the Lord to have that wonderful experience of being with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was able to be there and see that. The Lord transfigured before his eyes. And then later the Lord chose those three to be able to be with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he saw the Lord and his travail and all of that. And he had all those experiences. And then he later told the Lord, he said, Lord, I'll not deny you. Everybody might deny me, but I won't. And guess what he did? Sure enough, before the cock crowed twice, he denied the Lord three times. And he was up on the mountain with the Lord, and then down the valley, he failed the Lord. And in our text this morning, we find Jacob can be added to those examples. He he, He had wonderful experiences with the Lord. 
He persevered with the Lord in prayer and wrestled with God and received God's blessing. And he was renamed Israel, which meant his name was meant that he, had, he was a prince who had power with God. And then years before that, he had wonderful experiences. You remember at Bethel, he met the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord told him that he was going to give him the land of Canaan. All of this is in his mind. He knows this to be true. His seed would be as the dust of the earth for multitude. You remember the Lord had already said it would be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the heaven. Now it's dust of the earth. I mean, it's going to be uh, multitudes of people. In him, his seed, and his, in, in him and his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. He knew that. God told him that. And God would keep him and bring him back into the land of Canaan, and God would in no way leave him. He would always be with him. And since then, God had blessed him in Iran and multiplied his family. He had a lot of children. He had a lot of possessions. And then God protected him in those 20 years with Laban, who changed his wages 10 times and didn't allow him to hurt him. And then finally God told him to leave. And he left Laban, and then Laban found out and came after him, and God protected him again and told Laban in a dream, you better not touch my servant. And so he knows all this, and, and, uh, and God was good to him. Now he was, he was about to meet Esau, who vowed to kill him. But before he met him, and before he even prayed about it, God met him with a host of angels to show him that I'm going to take care of you. The host of angels is with you. And then after he had feverishly pursued all of his efforts to appease his brother, the Lord met him that night. Remember, he was all alone. We saw it last week. And he wrestled with God. And when he wrestled with God, God gave him that new name, Israel. He was a prince with God. And so all this was behind him. He knew all of this. As we enter the chapter, you would think that he would be on top of it You'd think he'd be on victory ground. You'd think he'd be full of hope and assurance and not afraid of Esau because God was with him. He had promised not to leave him, and he would bring him safely home to his family. There was absolutely no reason to be afraid. No reason. God had this. He didn't have to worry about it. He just needed to wait on the Lord. But what happened? What happened? Was he a saint who really trusted the Lord? No, we find out in this passage it tells a different story. First of all, in this account, we find that Jacob meets Esau. Jacob prepared his family. We just read the text. Jacob prepared his family. He saw Esau and and his 400 men coming, and he made quick preparations. He rearranged his family. He rearranged his family, so he divided the mothers and the children into groups. And he put the handmaids and their children first. That would be Zilpah and and Bilhah. And then he put the two wives and their children next. And first of all, he put Leah and her children. Then he put Rachel and and her only child, Joseph, in the back. And so he really rearranged them by their importance to him. And Jacob went out before his family as he uh, was ready to meet, meet Esau. And he bowed seven times. Esau's in the distance, you know. He's got all his family behind him and the arrangement of, of how he loved them, really. <laughs> and, uh, and then he goes out in front of them and he bows seven times before uh, Esau. And then Esau did what Jacob did not expect. 
Esau ran to meet him. I mean, he was running to meet him. And the Bible says he embraced him. I can imagine Jacob not knowing what to do. He's totally surprised. And he embraces him. He falls on his neck. I believe he just hugs him, and then he puts his head against his, his neck, and then he began to kiss him. Now, if I was reenacting that, I would do all that except that last thing. <laughs> That's not part of our culture. <laughs> you know, if we're going to do charades or something, I would, if I was participating, I'd do all except the kissing part. Uh, that's not part of our culture, but it was for them. And this is his brother. And he loved him very much, and he was kissing him. And Jacob was just taken back by it. And then Esau inquires, and he says, Jacob, he said, what are all these women and children? By that time, they're coming to him, you know. And he says, what are all these women and children? Well, Jacob gave him a good explanation. He said, these are the children that God has blessed me with. By the way, that's always true of children. I don't care the background. I don't care uh, what caused, you know, what the details were. A child is a blessing. (laughs) A child is a blessing. And a child shouldn't be aborted just because you don't like it, because I'll guarantee you God does. (laughs) God likes likes that child. God loves that child. God died for that child. So that child is very important. And so he says it rightly. He says, these are the children that God gave me. God gave me all these children. And each wife and her child then came, her children then came, and they approached Esau, and they bowed as they approached Esau. And then Esau made another inquiry. He said, and what are all these droves? Remember last week we saw these, sent all these droves of animals. And he sent different groups, and, and there probably were five different groups that he sent. He said, what are all these droves? And Jacob said, Uh, these are gifts so that I might find grace in your sight. I might find grace in your sight. Uh, I think that's a good use of terms because Jacob surely needed grace, not justice. After what he did to his brother, he didn't need justice, he needed grace. He said, I want to find grace in your sight. And Esau objected to the gifts and asked Jacob uh, to keep them. He said, no, I don't need these, just keep them. And Jacob insisted that he keep the gifts. And Jacob pleaded for him, and he says, if I have found favor in your sight. In fact, when I saw you, when I saw your face, it was like seeing the face of God. Now, that was an exaggeration, but it was a way of saying, you know, it's, it's so good to see you and to know that you've accepted me. And he said, please take my gifts. And he gave him two reasons. He says, because God has been gracious to me, and because I have enough, I don't really need it, and I'd really like for you to take it. So the Bible says that Esau took the gifts. And then it's Esau's part to have a place in the story. And that is, Esau comes and he says, I I want to make a proposal to you, Esau. He didn't say it, or Jacob. He didn't say it that way. But he said, said, uh, why don't I go with you you, uh, where you're going? Now, let me remind you where Jacob was going. Jacob, if he obeyed the Lord, was going back home. Back home was Bethel. Back home was Hebron. Back home, Bethel is where he met the Lord, you remember? Hebron is where his dad and mom were staying. And he wanted to see his dad and mom. So he's headed south. And Jake and Esau says, I'll, I'll go before you. Now, Esau lives south of that. He lives south of, of Bethel. He lives south of Hebron, and that is, he could, 
he could take Jacob to where he was going and he could go on. And so it was a good proposal. He said, why don't I go before you? I know the way. I've been through this. You've been gone for 20 years. I know the area and uh, I have these men to protect us. Let me let, let go, go before you. And he says in verse 12, let us take our journey and let us go and I will go before you. Let us take our journey and let us go. He says, brother, let's be together. All the past is forgiven. Let's be together. And uh, so that's the proposal he gives. Jacob asks Esau, no, I don't, I don't want to do that because he gave some reasons. He, and these are legitimate. He says the children are tender. You and your men will travel at a certain pace. We'll go a lot slower. The children are tender. The flocks and herds are with young. Some of them have young, and some of them are expecting young ones. And so they can't travel as fast as you and your men could travel. And then he said this, I will come to you in Seir. I will come to you in Seir. Now he's going to Bethel, and he's going to Hebron, and Seir is south of that, and he says, I'll come to you in Seir. He tells his brother that's what he's going to do. Esau offered to leave some of his men with him. He said, all right, if you won't let me go with you, and I understand your reason, let me just leave some of my men. And probably had in mind, uh, as guides, as protectors, uh, let me leave, leave some of my men with you. And, and, and Jacob said, no, uh, I, I don't want you to do that. Please accept what I'm saying, brother, and uh, I'll see you in Seir. I'll come to Seir to see you. Well, after that, Jacob went on. Esau left. We went back home to Seir, and Jacob began to move. Look at verse 17 of chapter 33. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him a house, and made booze for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. Jacob journeyed to Succoth. Now, Succoth was northwest of the direction he should have gone. I'll follow you to Seir, that south. And Jacob went northwest. So he really wasn't doing what he said he would do. And not only that, he built a house. He settled down. He made booze for his cattle. In fact, the name of the place implies that he must have been there a good while. In fact, some scholars believe that he was at Succoth probably around 10 years. So he's no hurry to get home. And he's there for all that time. And he's there long enough, they named the place after him because he was the one that built booths for his cattle. Now, the booths were uh, lean-to type structures, and they were like cattle sheds. And so the cattle would get under there. He's going to stay there a while. He built him a house, not living in a tent anymore. He built him a house, and he's staying there for a while, and they named the place after the booze that he put there, Succoth. Jacob then, after he'd been there for a while, moved to Shechem. Verse 18 says he pitched his tent before the city. Now, there was a city there, and uh, it's called Shalem, and the city, a city of Shechem, and uh, some believe Shalem is actually peace, means peace, which means he moved in peace to Shechem, but... Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's in that area. And so let's say the city's name was, was Shechem. And so 
here he goes to this place, and he pitches his, his tent toward it. He gets in front of the city. Now, let's remember, this is an ungodly city. This is a city which years later, the Lord is going to say, it's so bad, I'm going to destroy it. And they were on the road to, to destruction. And this was a bad city because they didn't know God. They had all these ungodly practices. So he pitched his tent toward that place. And Jacob then purchased a lot, purchased a lot from a guy by the name of Hamar. And it says he was the father of Shechem. And we'll find out about Shechem in the next chapter, chapter 34. And so he purchased it for a hundred pieces of money. Now, later we find out that was a hundred pieces of silver. For a hundred pieces of money, he purchased this place. And then Jacob built an altar on the land that he had, that he had purchased, and he called that altar El Elohi Israel, means a mighty God is the God of Israel. Now, there's a couple good things there in that name, and that is he recognized God. You remember he said when he left Bethel, if you'll take care of me, you will be my God. And here he says, before he ever gets to Bethel, he says, this is, you are my God. So, uh, and then he recognizes his new name, and that is Israel, the God of Israel. And so it's interesting that this place, Shechem, was, late, was before that, the place that Abraham built his first altar in Canaan. If you go back to chapter 12, you find out that Abraham comes into Canaan and he builds his first altar at Shechem and then the next one at Bethel. And so this is a significant place. Shechem was also the area that Joseph's brothers later would, uh, would be feeding their flocks and Joseph comes to check on them. And remember, they throw Joseph in a pit and sell him off into slavery. And then also, here is the place that Joshua gave his farewell address to his people. Joshua was getting up in years. This is the years later. And Joshua gives a farewell address to his people. And you remember in that passage, he says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And then he covenanted with his people. And where was it? It was at Shechem, this place where Jacob was and where he built that altar. Also, this is the place that later Joseph had his, remember Joseph left, left instructions that his bones would be taken back to the Canaan and they buried his bones in this place and in the, in the plot that, jo, that Jacob had bought and, and Joshua 24 verse 32 says, Jacob bought it for 100 pieces of silver. That's where we find out the money was silver. And so uh, this is the place where later Joseph's bones would be buried. Now, we began this message about this passage. You know, we've already gotten through it. We began this message by saying that Jacob was another example of a believer who had a mountaintop experience with God, and yet he followed that experience with failure. So this morning, I want us to answer the question, how did Jacob fail? Let's look at some of his failures in this chapter. First of all, he focused, his, his, he, he focused on his circumstances rather than the promises of God. Jacob looked up, and what did he see? Esau and 400 brethren coming with him. He saw that. He was scared. God had told him before to return to Canaan, 
and he promised that he would be with him. No reason to fear. God appeared to him in a dream and told him that he had observed how Laban had treated him and that he was protecting him. And he was going to, and he told him to leave Laban. And then when he left Laban, Laban came after him. Uh, God told him in a dream, uh, told Laban in a dream, don't you touch him. God had let him see these angels, as we mentioned this earlier. He let him see the angels as an evidence that God was with him and it was going to protect him. He had prayed to God and asked God to deliver him from Esau. Now, he's supposed to believe that God's going to do that. He prayed and he based his prayer on the promises of God. He said, Lord, you promised this and you promised that. He based his prayer on God's promises. And then he had just come from a wrestling match with God and God had given him that brand new name, Israel. But when he saw Esau, he'd focused not on God's promises. He focused on the circumstances and he expected the worst. He thought, oh my goodness, Esau is going to kill me. And Esau, I'm, I'm scared to death. He focused on the circumstances and forgot all the promises. Now we do that sometimes. We do the very same thing. Jacob was so concerned, he arranged his family. He rearranged them. You remember back in chapter 32, verses 7 and 8, he'd put his family in two groups. Now he even arranges those two groups and puts his family, his immediate family, his wives and his children in the, in the uh, sequence of how he loved them. And it's very evident, you know, he preferred Rachel and Joseph over all of them. And he lined them up in that way. So much like we do today, he forgot all the promises of God and focused on the circumstances. Do you ever do that? You ever have problems face you? And all of a sudden you're worried. I mean, you can't sleep. You worry yourself to death. And uh, you tell people about what you're worrying about. And you wonder, if, oh, if this is going to happen. And what do we do? We focus on the circumstances and we forget God's promises. That God says, I'll work all things together for good. And all means all. That's all all means. <laughs> I'll work all things together for good. I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I'll supply all your need. I will be with you. You are more than conquerors through Christ. And we forget all that. And we focus on the circumstances and we do just like Jacob did. And that is we worry, we're distressed, we're fearful. Same is true of sinful temptations. Sinful temptations come our way and we look at the, th the thing that's presented to us and we forget about God's warnings. We forget about God's promises of what we'll do, what he'll do, what will happen if, this, if we do this. And we just think, oh, oh my, this will be good. This, is, this will bring pleasure or this will bring financial uh, peace or this, this, this. And we look at the circumstance and we forget what God said. We're just like Jacob. So that was the first mistake he made, first failure he had. Then there's another failure. Jacob showed favoritism in his family. Now, that's never right. It's never right. It's never right for you to say, my favorite child is. You shouldn't do that because you should love them all. 
You should love them all the same. Sure, there's things you might not like about certain child, but you should love them, and you should not have a favorite because that's always dangerous. Now, Jacob should have known this because Jacob had seen it in his own dad. He had seen how his dad preferred Esau. Why? Because Esau killed venison and brought it to him to eat. What a bad reason. And he saw that even though though Isaac knew that God, and God had told him that, that Jacob was to be the child of promise, still because he preferred Esau, he tried to work around God's plan and tried to give the blessing to Esau even though God told him not to. And so he knew by experience what it was like to suffer favoritism. His family by now knows where they stand in Jacob's family. (laughs) I mean, what did he do? He'd already made these arrangements, put the family in two groups, or put, and that included animals, you know, people that were just two main groups. But now he faces the, the, the immediate problem, Jacob, and he rearranges the family and he puts those he loves the less up front so they will get uh, Esau's, the brunt of Esau's uh, anger first. And then he puts the last ones, and that's Rachel and Jacob foremost. Now, don't you think those kids saw that? Don't you think they realized, what's dad doing? How is Joseph any better than the rest of us? Well, that played out, you remember, later, because Joseph's brother got so fed up with it, and they didn't like the favoritism that was shown. Their dad even made him a coat of many colors. And they didn't like it, and they found him out in that field. You remember Shechem? <laughs> Shechem, same place. And uh, they found that Jacob had been. And they found that. Uh, they found him. Uh, he came to check on his brother, and they threw him down in a pit and then sold him off into slavery. And that was the first, uh, the, that was ancient human trafficking. So human trafficking is not new. It was practiced back then as well. So Jacob made that problem, or that, that failure. He showed favoritism in his family. Also, he bowed to Esau, though God had given him a new name. Now, you might say, well, that's just a way of him trying to show Esau, uh, you know, that he's, he's okay, and, uh, but he seems to overdo it, doesn't he? <laughs> He bowed seven times to Esau. Now, he's supposed to believe God's promises. He's supposed to believe that God's going to take care of him, that God's the one that gave him this promise, you know, the promised child. God's the one that did that, and he's to trust God, and God says, I'm with you. I've got your back. I've got my angels here to take care of you. He knows that. He knows all that, and yet he's still bowing to Esau. And seven times he bows, and then when he brings all the children and the wives and the children, each of them come before Esau bowing bowing. You just wonder, Jacob, I thought God just renamed you prince. (laughs) You're not acting like a prince. You're not acting like somebody who walks with God and a prince who has power with God. You're acting like a defeated person. No, we can criticize that, but we as Christians sometimes do the same thing. We face the world We don't act like who we are. We sometimes are ashamed. Sometimes we cower to the world. 
We're afraid to speak up for Jesus. We're afraid to say this is sin and that's sin. We're afraid to do that because the world, you know, wouldn't approve. And so we cower to the world. We forget that we're saints, that we're sons of God, that we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We forget that we're redeemed. We forget we're justified. We forget that we are ambassadors for Christ and we are more than conquerors. We don't need to brow. We need to just walk up. And Jacob should have gone before Esau with his head held high. And that he should have approached Esau and said, Esau, I, I'm glad to see you. And uh, I've got some things to tell you. But he should have approached Esau with a more respectful way as who he was. He just found out that he's a prince with God. But then he failed in another way. He failed to realize that all his worry and distress had been fruitless. (laughs) Have any of you ever been there? You know, you worried yourself sick. And then God answered prayer and you realize, I didn't need to worry. (laughs) I didn't need to worry. His brother loved him. His brother did not hold a grudge. His brother was glad to see him. His brother genuinely hugged him and kissed him. His brother actually is glad that he's here. (laughs) And uh, rather than realize, boy, I made a big mistake, he's still doing that plotting and that planning. He should have trusted God and not been afraid. All the worry he had was just a waste of time, and always it's true of us. Our worry is a waste of time. Now, am I saying I don't worry? No, I wouldn't tell such a lie. (laughs) I do worry sometimes, but it's never justified. It's not right. And it's wrong for me. It's wrong for you. The Bible says be anxious for nothing or be careful for nothing means anxious. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So God says don't worry. So his worry was a waste of time. This would have been a golden opportunity for Jacob instead to come before Esau, his head held high. And Esau said, I I want to tell you something, Esau. I am sorry for what I did to you. It wasn't right. I sinned against you. I deceived my dad. I deceived you. And that wasn't right. And I want to tell you something. I'm not the same man anymore. In fact, I just had uh, an encounter with the Lord, and he gave me a new name. Jacob, I know I don't deserve it, but God told me I'm a prince with God. God's been so good to me. And Jacob, and he could have said to Esau, Esau, I love you. And I hope you'll forgive me. And let's start all over anew. He should have done that, but he didn't do that. He failed to just stop and realize all my worry was a waste of time. And then he had another failure. He lied to his brother. Old Jacob lied to his brother. I read one commentator who said this. He did did counting, and he said, I I believe I have these numbers right. I didn't write it down, so I'm not sure. But he said, uh, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. There's another man had his name changed, and that was Abraham. Abraham had his name changed from Abram to Abraham. And you know, after God changed his name to Abraham, it was never the name Abraham. Abram, except in an explanation of that, was never used to refer to Abraham. 
he was never called Abram anymore. He was called Abraham. But for Jacob, when God changed his name, after his name was changed, uh, the one who counted them says there were 45 times he's called Jacob. And 27 times he's called Israel. Why is that? Because he kept acting like Jacob. <laughs> he kept act, acting like the supplanter and the deceiver. He was acting like Jacob, and here he's doing the same. And he lies to his brother. He says, brother, I'll meet you in Seir. I don't think Jacob had ever, ever had a, an expectation he'd go to Seir. I mean, that wasn't his intent anyway. He was to go to Bethel, and he was to go to Hebron where his dad and mom were. And he says, I'll see you in Seir. Uh, but he didn't. Esau went south. Jacob went northwest. He was still acting like Jacob not Israel, and so he lied to his brother. In fact, it was several years later that uh, he was able to go even to, to, uh, to Bethel and to Hebron. So this is another problem that he made. Another failure that he had, not only that he told his brother a lie, but he delayed in his obedience to the Lord. You see, God came to Jacob and said this, Jacob, I am the God of Bethel. Remember that, Jacob? Remember the ladder? You remember my vow to you, your vow to me? Remember I told you I'd be with you and I'd take care of you and I'd bring you back to this land? You remember your vow to me that you would serve me, you, I would be your God, and you would tithe one-tenth one of everything that you had? Maybe that's why he didn't want to go back. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he thought if he got there too quick, he'd have to, he'd have to tithe all that. I, I'm not sure. But he, he had made those vows, and God said, I am the God of Bethel, and I want you to go back to the land of your kindred. Now, Shechem was not the land of his kindred. Succoth was not the land of his kindred. It was the land that God was going to give them later, but where his kindred lived was down in, in uh, Hebron, south of Bethel. And so he told him to go back to that land. But he's delaying his obedience he seemed to be in no hurry to get back home. Now, why? I don't know. Maybe as he hated to face Esau, he also hated to face his dad. Maybe he hated to face his dad. I don't know. But you would think after all these years, he'd want to go back and see his mom and dad. His mom and dad were not getting any younger. In fact, they were older. Uh, Jacob was probably in his 90s at this time, and we find when he finally gets back home, and he wasn't there very long, I don't think, that his dad died and his dad was 180. So Jacob's really delaying. and He's been gone 20 years and he's probably another 10, 10 years or so before he ever gets, gets to Hebron uh, to see his dad. This was probably the first, and when he finally did get there, we're told that in, in chapter 35, verse 28, that uh, uh, Isaac died when he was 180 years old. When, when he finally got there, he saw Esau. Probably the first time he'd seen Esau since he left him up in the land of, uh, up there by Succoth. And it was probably the first time he'd seen him. And uh, so he didn't go to Seir. He didn't go to where Esau was. He never kept that promise. He didn't go there. And probably he never saw Esau again. And so, and we don't know about his mom. We don't know if he ever saw his mother. You would think he'd want to get in a hurry and go home. I mean, I'm in the land of Canaan, and I'm on my way. My brother even said he would go with me, 
But I said, no, I'm going to go a little slower pace. And he didn't go to slower pace. He stopped. And he stayed there. He didn't seem er eager to get home at all. And uh, you wonder why. Well, because of that, he might never have seen his mother. We don't know for sure because Rebecca's death is not recorded in the Bible, except the fact that she was buried uh, where Jacob was buried. Uh, but the time of her death is not recorded. Whether he saw his mom at, at Jacob's death or whether his mom had died before, we don't know. But at least when he saw her, he didn't get to see her long, if he did see her. And so Jacob is delaying. He's delaying. And you know what it is? is de- delay is disobedience. When God said, go back to the land of your kindred, I'm the God of Bethel, go back there, go back to the land of your kindred, God meant go. He didn't mean, well, stop and wait. He, he, he delayed his coming, his going to home. And so that was disobedience. And then another failure of Jacob was Jacob's delay caused him to linger around the godless influence of the Canaanites. That's never right, you know, for us to linger around the godless influences of those around us, to let them influence us, to continue to let them influence and uh, Jacob made the, made the decision that he was going to set his tent toward Shechem, and he stayed there long enough, some terrible things happened. And because he stayed there long enough, you remember the Bible says that he, he bought some land from Hamar, who was uh, Shechem's father. He bought some land for him. And Dinah, his, his, his daughter... Uh, got the idea, well, dad's friends with these people. I'll go, and chapter 34 says, she went out to see the daughters of the land. Well, next week we'll find out what happened because of that. But you can say this, all all the problems that are recorded in chapter 34 are because Jacob delayed his obedience and he lingered around ungodly influences when he stayed there around Shechem, and his family was affected by it. And Dinah was affected by it. And so these people uh, with Jacob are going to all be affected by his sin and his uh, delaying obedience to the Lord. Now, when God draws you close to himself, we can bring it all to inclusion like this. When God draws you close to himself, and you have what we call a mountaintop experience. That might be in a church service where you feel the Lord's really dealing in your heart, and you confess to Him, and you get close to Him, and you start reading your Bible and praying, or maybe it's during a revival meeting that God speaks to your heart, and you have a mountaintop experience with the Lord. You better watch out, because the devil doesn't like it when God's working in your life. (laughs) And you'll have three things against you. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world will be against you. The world doesn't want you close to Jesus. Your flesh, your sinful flesh, doesn't want you to say no. It wants you to say yes. And you'll have trouble with your flesh. And you'll have trouble with the devil because he's always as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so after you've been on the mountaintop, it's all right to go down to the valley of human life. Because in that valley, you, you, your faith is tested. 
and you go through trials, and God wants you to draw upon what you learned from Him on the mountaintop. God wants you to draw from that and to help you to be strong with Him. But if you don't do what God wants you to do, you have the world, the flesh, and the devil ready to attack you down in the valley. So what do you need to do in the valley? You need to resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. You need to do like Joseph, say no to the flesh, and if you have to, run. And then you need to refuse to be conformed to the world. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable in the Lord, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. So stay close to the Lord, and God will keep you from being a casualty like Jacob was when in chapter 33 he seems to forget everything that he had learned. May God help us to be strong Christians for him. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for teaching us from this passage. And Lord, we know as we get to chapter 34, it's going to be a disturbing thing that we see. But I pray, Lord, that we might understand that the way we keep chapters 34 out of our life is to learn from chapter 32, and that is the Lord's with us. He'll protect us. We can trust Him. We don't need to be afraid. Lord, I pray that we might be strong Christians for Your glory. But if someone is here without Jesus, help them to realize today that they don't belong to You, that they're already in the clutches of the devil, and if he has his will, they will go to hell. But the way to keep out of hell is to trust Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and call out to you in faith and accept you as their Savior. I pray that you might help that one without Jesus to do that today. We pray in his name. Amen.